if you're here for the first time. Uh, so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. You know, our hope and prayer for New City, uh, for our church as a whole, is that we would continue to be uh, just a steadfast, steadfast presence in one another's lives, uh, that we would just uh, hold one another up and point each other towards Jesus. And so, again, we're just thankful that you're here. You know, today we're, uh, we'll be in Judges chapter 6, looking at the story of Gideon, and it's going to lead us in the next week, uh, all the way to chapter 8. And the story of Gideon is actually one of my favorite stories in the book of Judges. Um, seeing God turn a scaredy cat uh, into a valiant warrior. Um, you know, there's something really special about these stories. Uh, they're just incredibly hopeful. Um, seeing God transform lives and use people that just seem unusable. Uh, and something interesting about the book of Judges, uh, just coming out of the book of Joshua, is that we see God raising up unlikely leader after unlikely leader. You know, the book of Joshua, it was the picture of the quintessential, ideal uh, leader for God's people. In fact, Joshua in Greek is the uh, name for Jesus. They, they both mean God is deliverer. Uh, so Joshua directly pointed us to Jesus. But then directly after Joshua, we begin to see unlikely leader after unlikely leader just being uh, raised up. So Ahud, as we saw uh, as, we, as we saw a couple weeks ago, he was uh, left-handed and likely handicapped. Um, Deborah, as we saw last week, was a, a woman just, uh, and just during the time of history. Um, that would have been seen as totally counter-cultural at the time. Uh, and now we see Gideon, the scaredy cat, um, which I think we can agree is not the ideal military leader. You know, there's a level of fearlessness uh, that is needed when you're going up against a massive army like we'll see next week in chapter seven and eight. Um, and I mean, just following a scaredy, uh, scared military leader that is crippled by fear, I think we can agree that that's not the most comforting thing. And everything about Judges chapter six, it highlights the fear of Gideon and God's people and the need for courage, um, which leads us to our main idea today. And it's that God makes the fearful courageous. God makes the fearful courageous. You know, God, we talked about a little bit last week how, how Deborah breathed courage into the life of Barak to lead uh, in their military, uh, military battle against 900 chariots of iron. Uh, this, a fight that just seemed unbeatable. Uh, and this week we're continuing the courage talk, but not so much to encourage others, but it's for ourselves. You know, I think we can agree that courage is much needed, uh, especially as we seek to walk with Jesus and do all that he calls us to do. And, I, and the way I often define courage is taking action in spite of our fears. Uh, for example, uh, the, if you have a phobia of some sort, like arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders, being courageous would look like seeing a spider, noticing the fear, and then going towards that spider to kill it uh, in spite of that fear. And I love the story of Gideon because I think we can agree that fear and worry are incredibly common parts of our, of our life, especially in our walk with Jesus. Uh, in fact, the most common used phrase in the Bible is to fear not or to not be afraid. Uh, and this is not just in our walk with Jesus, but every person under the sun, I think, understands the reality of fear. I mean, there's a fear of uh, our phobia, it seems like, for just about everything. Um, there's a, there, there are common phobias, that just to list a few, like claustrophobia uh, and arachnophobia, like, the, again, the fear of spiders, uh, acrophobia, which is the fear of heights, <coughs> There are even named fears um, for things like the fear of being without your phone, uh, which is called nomophobia. Um, and so uh, if you've ever left your, left your house and uh, run to the store and just kind of quickly realize you forgot your phone to turn, then turn around and go get it, you may have nomophobia. There's also the fear of decision making. Um, it's called decidophobia. 
Um, I found this one interesting. Um, it's the fear of the number eight. It's called octophobia. Um, and if you have that fear, I'm actually proud of you for being here today. Um, it's very courageous of you because today is Sunday, October the 8th. Um, but I think we get this. Like we understand fear and we understand how it affects us. And not just in uh, overcoming things like the fear of heights or death or public speaking. Uh, but I would even venture to say that our culture maybe understands the nuances of fear uh, possibly now more than ever before. We just don't call it fear. We call it anxiety. And I get there's different types of anxiety and it, it can definitely be driven from a physiological standpoint. But when we think about fear, there are also real fears that get talked about under the umbrella of anxiety. Uh, and it's things like the fear of being alone or the fear of connecting with someone and maybe getting uh, hurt by them or abandoned by them. There are also things like being afraid uh, that you won't be recognized or being afraid of failure or maybe even being afraid of, uh, of rejection. Again, these are all types of fears that we all experience and there's no denying that courage is being able to live and function and take action in spite of those fears. Like it's just much needed. And again, I love what our story today uh, about our. I love what I, I love about our story today is that we see the call of God called Gideon, who was deathly fearful, and then God just totally transforms him. And so today we're going to read some of the, the text, and I'm going to tell some of the story, working through the, much of chapter six. This is going to take us about ten to fifteen minutes to kind of tell through the story, and so I'm actually going to break this story down into five different scenes just to kind of help us stay uh, on track with what's ha- with what's going on. And on the back half of our time, we're going to have five takeaways uh, that's going to uh, kind of around God making the fearful courageous. And so we've got two parts to our time, five, a five-part story, and then five takeaways. And so let's get started in our story. Look at verse one. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Again, we see our repetitive cycle here. Uh, God's people did evil in the sight of the Lord, uh, and they get handed over to the people of Midian for seven years. And then look at verse two. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And so they, here, here they are hiding in caves, just seeing our first hint of fear. But we can't blame them because look what's happening. Look at verse 3 in, in Judges uh, 6. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels would not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. So they were afraid. I mean, they, they came in, they were taking all of their stuff, uh, their food, their animals, everything. And look what it says in verse six. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Again, our, this is our repetitive cycle that we see all throughout Judges. The people, of, the people rebel, they get discouraged and they cry out to God for help. And look what happens in verse seven. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And I want to stop there because I think this is interesting. You know, in the past, when God's people cried out to the Lord, uh, God sent a judge to deliver them and save, to rescue them. But this time, God sent a prophet, which I find a bit funny. Uh, God didn't send a warrior to save them, but a preacher to preach to them. And as Tim Keller put it, uh, God's first response was not to give them a savior, but a servant, a sermon. Uh, and look what the prophet says in his sermon in verse eight, the middle of verse eight. 
And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from the Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Uh, which co- completes our first scene that I've titled number one, the cry for help and the preaching prophet. And so in this kind of short sermon that we just read, God reminds them of all that he has done to deliver them in the past. And he's also said, I told you that I am God and that you should not fear, uh, and you should not fear these false gods, like the, the false gods of these people. He basically said, I told you not to be afraid and then I will be with you. And here they are hiding and afraid. And I find this compelling that God did this because God didn't come through and immediately rescue them from the Midianites. No, God wanted to change them. And so he sent them a prophet to highlight their disobedience. He wanted to see them truly turn to the Lord and not just save them from their difficulty. And I think we can agree there is a difference. Like there's a difference in being sorrowful over our sin and the disgust of it versus being sorrowful over the consequences of our sin. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, he makes this distinction between the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, which we're going to talk more about in groups. But in short, God doesn't want us to be sorrowful over our challenging circumstances and getting caught, but rather sorrowful over our sin and disobedience to God. Like one is true repentance and one is not. And there's a difference. One changes us and one does not. And so yes, God's people, they cried out to God because they didn't like the consequences that were happening around them, but not because they hated their sin. And do you know how we know that? Well, because later in scene four, as we'll see, they were st- we'll see that they were still worshiping these other idols. They were still worshiping God and also these other false gods. And so God, he doesn't just want to make their circumstances better. No, he wants their complete devotion uh, and worship. He wants their entire life and their entire heart. And so what does God do next? We send an angel of the Lord uh, to Gideon, the scaredy cat Gideon, which leads us to part two of our story. Number two, the angel of the Lord approaches Gideon, the scaredy cat. Now, if you look at verse 11, it says Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press uh, when this angel came to him, um, which is pretty funny for those that understand uh, how to beat out wheat as they were talking about and also what a wine press is, which y'all, I did not. I had no idea what this was, uh, but is essential. But what is essential to beating out this, this wheat is to separate the wheat with wind. Wind is essential. So they would go out into a, a field. They would use the, the wind to help sift and kind of separate the wheat. And what is, and what is a wine press? was basically just a ditch. It's a hole, and there's no wind here. And so it's a bit of a ridiculous scene here. I mean, it would kind of be like trying to fly a kite in a cave. It's a bit silly. But he was doing this because he was afraid. He was hiding, and he was, he was scared of the Midianites. And look what happens in verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I love this. Right? The angel of the Lord uh, cam- comes to scaredy cat Gideon and calls him mighty man of valor. And as the reader, we're sitting here wondering, like, are we thinking about the same guy? Gideon, is he the mighty man of valor that you're talking about? And look what Gideon says in verse 13. He has two questions. Look at the first half of verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Oh, in many ways, I think we kind of get this question. We can relate with this. Like we often ask with the same question, why is this happening? Why has this happened to us? 
But for us, looking at this story specifically, uh, we can know that it's a bit of a silly question for Gideon because God didn't leave them. No, they left God. It's almost like they wanted the benefits of God to be cared and well supplied by God, but they didn't want to worship God. And then he asked in verse 13, his that second question, uh, God, where are all of your wonderful deeds? As an angel is literally standing right in front of them. I mean, do you see the irony in this? I mean, like Gideon, he's not quite catching on. He's in a spot of doubt and unbelief all throughout chapter six. And what I love that we'll see is God is incredibly patient with him throughout this entire chapter. Isn't that good news for us? I mean, God, he is so patient with us, even in the midst of our doubt and unbelief. And so Gideon expresses doubt and unbelief. And look what the angel said uh, to him in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Uh, can you believe this? Like Gideon is full of fear, worry, doubt, and unbelief. And God says, Go in this might of yours to save Israel from the hand of Midian. Uh, and then look what Gideon says back. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon's like, are you crazy, God? I'm the weakest, I'm in the weakest clan, and I'm in, I'm in the lowest of them all. It'd be like uh, picking the, the worst player as your first pick in a fantasy football draft, okay? It's like, it's like you look at the points, and you see all the projected points for the seasons, and it says zero. And God's like, that's my guy. And look what God said back to him after Gideon just expressed more doubts and unbelief asking how will he save Israel? And the Lord said to him in verse 16, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And so Gideon asked, how will they save Israel? And God says, don't worry, I'm gonna be with you. And I think it's kind of funny what Gideon does next. Um, after the angel of the Lord speaks to him, he then asks for a sign. After an angel literally just spoke to him, Gideon's like, well, uh, wait here. I'm going to get a present for you. And God, he kind of patiently waits. And Gideon prepares a goat and a cake. He puts it in a basket and he takes it to the Lord. And so, that, so what's part three of our story? Well, number three, Gideon bakes a cake. I bet you didn't see that one coming. But God's like, okay. He goes along with it. And then God said, put all of that on a rock, pour some broth over it, which when I think of eating a cake, that's exactly how I think of eating a cake. Just pouring broth all over the cake. Sounds delightful. Uh, and then Gideon, he looks out at his staff and then fire comes out of his staff and it totally consumes the meal. And I don't know about for you, but for me, that seems like pretty good confirmation. And so Gideon, he liked it too. He's pretty fired up about it. He's like, great. Uh, I've seen the angel of the Lord. And look what the Lord said to him in verse 23. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not, you shall not die. Again, seems like a pretty good confidence booster. God gave him a promise. Don't be afraid. I will be with you and you won't die. Seems like a good thing to hear going into battle. And so he was excited about it. And then he built an altar there for the Lord. And what God asked Gideon to do next uh, to get Gideon and his people battle ready, I find really interesting as we get into this scene four of the story. Because he basically said, go get two bulls, go, down, go tear down the altar of Baal, that's, that, that, that altar there that's in your dad's house, and cut down that other idol Asherah beside it and build an altar of the Lord on top of it. Uh, and, and on top of it and replace of it and take that second bull and sacrifice it using the wood from the idol uh, Asherah that you're gonna do. Like burn the wood and use that wood uh, to, for sacrifice. And so part four of our story, I've titled number four, The Midnight Idol Bash. Uh, 
And so God basically says, go and totally destroy those idols, destroy those false gods, they're nothing, burn them, destroy them, because I'm on your side. The enemy, they don't stand a chance. And so Gideon, he listens, he gets 10 of his guys to go with him because he was afraid, he didn't do it in the day, but rather at night, he did it maybe midnight. Again, he's following the door's direction, but fear, it still had a grip on him. He's still a bit timid here. And the next morning, all the people see what's happened. And let's just say they're not happy. They're mad. They're like, who did this? And they find out that Gideon did it. And so they're calling on Gideon for his life. They want him dead. They get to his dad's house and they call for him. And his dad, Joash, kind of stands in the gap and says, why don't you call on Baal? Or why don't you have, uh, why don't you say, why don't you have Baal save, uh, save them? Don't you see him as a God? Can't, can't he fend for himself? I mean, he, his dad is just totally mocking these false gods. And what happens next? Well, Gideon, he rises in the ranks and all the people follow him ready for battle and he was given a new name for defeating Baal. And then at the end of chapter six, we kind of see another moment of fear and doubt and a part of a story that maybe, is, uh, maybe you've heard before, um, but it's, it's often been used pretty poorly historically in the church. And it's the instance of part five, num- uh, the famous fleece. That's part five of our story about Gideon putting out his fleece, seeking confirmation or whether he should go into war and do as God said, which is pretty funny because it happens after all of what we just talked about. Like, I think he's had some confirmation, but he's seeking more confirmation. He's had confirmation after confirmation, and now Gideon's kind of like, are you sure, God? Let me just run a test. I think I need another sign. And as we read this, we're thinking, Gideon, like, what is wrong with you? And so Gideon says, okay, God, if you're going to save Israel like you said you would do, he said he was going to do it. And then I'm going to, so I'm going to take this fleece, I'm going to put it on the ground, and I want you to make the fleece wet while the ground is still dry. So, God, he, so Gideon does it, and then it all happens. God, God fulfills it. And he's like, wait, 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 wait a second. No, I meant, I meant the other way around. Let's try that again. So the fleece is dry, but the ground is wet. And then it happens that way too. And then chapter six ends, and the next morning, um, they kind of start preparing for battle, which is where we're going to pick up next week. And there's so much more we could say here about this fleece, and the, uh, fleece story we see at the end of this. Honestly, a whole sermon is probably needed for this. But what I want to point out, just as a quick side note, uh, is that this is not a model for decision making. Like we don't need to seek signs from the Lord when we make de- decisions almost thinking like we need a decoder ring to figure out God's will, especially if he's already told us in his word. If anything, uh, this last part of the story highlights Gideon's fear, his doubt, and his unbelief and not a model for trying to determine God's will. Because let's not forget, God has already told him what to do. He already told him to go into battle and he already told him he was going to be with him. But in this moment, we see more of Gideon's doubt and unbelief. And if anything, in this whole instance, the last last part of chapter 6 is that it shows the extreme patience of the Lord in the midst of Gideon's doubt and unbelief and not a model for how to make decisions. Trying to determine God's will for our life by asking for a miraculous sign in the sky spelled out in the clouds is not how God typically works. Like we don't have to figure out God's will for our life with a compass like a game of clues, searching for signs all over the place, trying to figure out God's will when he's already told us in his word. 
Now, like he's already told us a vast majority of his will for our life in his word, which is to love God, to love people, to live on mission, and to make disciples. And all the parts that aren't super clear after everything that is clear in his word, he's given us wisdom and gifts and desires and put people around us to help us and to speak into these situations. And can God work in miraculous ways to guide us? Yes, absolutely. But again, it's, it's not in spite of what God has already said in his word. And it's not, it's often, these miraculous signs are not often the common norm. Again, there's so much more we could say here, but I want to get to our main idea, okay, in the second half of our time. Seeing uh, that God makes the fearful courageous, because as we see in this story, that's exactly what God did with Gideon. And the first thing I want to point out here that we see in the story of Gideon is that number one, our identity is received not achieved. We see this idea all over the Bible, and we also see it right out of our text. You know, if you remember, Gideon, he was kind of hiding in a hole uh, with uh, trying to separate the wheat with no wind down in the wine press. Like, he's not exactly giving out bodes of confidence with what he's doing here. Nothing he's doing says, this is a fearless leader. And let's not forget how he introduced himself. He said, I'm the least of the weakest. So the way in which he views himself is not the greatest. So Gideon, his confidence, it's, it's in the toilet. And what does God do? He says, I choose you, Gideon. You're my first choice. And what does he say to him? He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He says in verse 14, go in this might of yours. Gideon sees, sees himself as puny and pathetic, as a scaredy cat. And God says, no, you're mighty. You're a mighty man of valor. And when you look up at all this, like when you look up all the synonyms for valor, we can replace it with, you're a mighty man of courage. He says, you're fearless, you're bold, you're brave, you're lion-hearted. And everything about Gideon's life and what he does up to this point, it, t- it goes totally against that. But yet the God of the universe who made Gideon and knew his future said, Gideon, you're bold, you're brave, you're courageous. This is who you are. And church, that, this was not an achieved identity, but a received identity. God gave him this identity. And I can't help but think how many people are walking around with the weight of an identity that has been totally shaped by the world. Like a worldly shaped identity like Gideon had that made him think, I'm the least of the weakest, made him think, I'm a scaredy cat. And God, God did not give him that identity. No, the world gave him that identity and it greatly affected him and it influenced him all throughout chapter six. And New City, the world says things about us to define us all day long. Things like you're not smart or you're not beautiful or you're not lovable or you're not good enough or you don't have what it takes or you're too messed up or your history is just too jacked up. And to that we have to say, no, absolutely not. If you are in Christ, your identity is beloved saint. Your identity, as we saw all throughout the book of Ephesians, is holy, set apart, child of God. Your identity is not defined by your greatest mistake. It's not defined how you messed up last night. It's not defined by your performance at work or in school or in sports. No, if you have given your life to Jesus and you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, your identity is forgiven and redeemed. Your identity is mighty man of courage. Your identity is kingdom advancer. Your identity is a mighty woman of bravery. That's your identity and nothing short of that. Y'all, we're about to have our fourth baby in two days. Y'all, and there, (laughs) praise the Lord, right? And there are a lot of things I want to teach my kids 
There are a lot of things I want to teach my girls and my son, but somewhere very close to the very top of that list is that their identity is not defined by what the world thinks of them or what they do, but rather their identity is given to them by the God of the universe who made them and who saves them. And church, anything short of this, if you are in Christ, is a total lie from the enemy. I mean, like, like story time is over, and now we're preaching, okay? So number one, our identity is not achieved but received. And then along those same exact lines, number two, as Pastor J.D. Greer has said it, number two, God doesn't call the brave, he makes brave the called. Again, it is overwhelmingly obvious in our text that Gideon was a scaredy cat. He was full of fear, but yet God still called him. Gideon would have been the last possible choice from the world's standards, but yet God still called him. God didn't call him because of where he was, but rather because of where he was taking him and he knew of, because of what he would become. God didn't call him because he was full of courage at the time of his call, but because he knew he would be, where he would be after he called, and worked on it, called him and worked on his heart. And church, what an incredible truth for us. Like, I don't know what God is calling you to, but absolutely do not believe that you have to be ready for what he's calling you to right now at this moment. No, our job is to walk in obedience to the Lord and to do what he says. Our job is to take the next step. God didn't call Gideon because of his current talents. God didn't call Gideon because of his resume. God didn't call Gideon because he was full of courage. No, God made him a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of courage and bravery because he called him. Because God was with him, period. Again, everything in chapter six highlights the fear and doubt of Gideon, and yet God used him anyways. Which leads me to say as our third point, New City, we must see that number three, fear is deceitful. In the words of Zach Williams, the songwriter, we could also say, fear is a liar. Yes, we all have fears, and we experience them in different ways, and yes, in some ways, a little fear is good. A fear of the hot stove, that's a good thing. Fear of the the strength of a tornado, a good thing. It's good and right to fear God. There are two sides to fear. There's a positive side and a negative side. Like a positive side is that fear leads us to, to wisdom and to reverence and to respect But the negative side that I think we all get is that it can cripple us to inaction. It can lead us to worry and anxiety, and it can rob us of joy in life. At the root of most anxiety is a fear. When we're anxious, it's often rooted in some sort of fear. Maybe fear of failure or not being liked or fear of disappointing people or the fear of being fully known or the fear of just being hurt again. And I know, yes, I don't want to totally ignore the physiological effects of fear and anxiety. That's all real. But quite frankly, a lot of our fears and worries are the result of not trusting in the sovereignty of God. And they are rooted and birthed from our enemy that whispers, whispers lies into our minds with the hopes of fracturing our trust in the Lord. Again, fear, it's a failure to trust God with the outcomes of whatever happens. Gideon and his people, they were hiding in caves because they didn't trust that God would be with them as he said he would be. They didn't trust what God said. I mean, God literally said, you shall not fear them. And what did they do? They didn't trust the Lord. They hid in fear. And I don't know what you're fearing right now, but I know this. At its root is a struggle to trust in the goodness of God. At its root, it's a struggle to trust in the sovereignty of God, in God's sovereign hand. And please hear me. This is just part of being human. 
This happens to all of us at some level. And this is not to heap on guilt and about having some sort of fear, but to help us find healing. I mean, maybe it's confessing sin. That can be pretty scary. And do you know what's wrapped up inside of that? It's a lie being whispered to you that if you can confess and bring it to light, all of the consequences, like those consequences can't be a part of God's good plan. And to that we have to say, no, sin kept in the dark, it will grow. God's plan is to always bring it to light. Yes, there may be consequences, but in the long run, God's holiness and God's goodness, it far outweighs the challenges. And so let me just ask, church, do you believe this? Or maybe it's with fear of our money or our resources. And you're afraid to give extravagantly as the Lord calls us to give. And please hear me, okay? I'm not saying this because we want your money. And I'm not saying this because we're trying to drive guilt, but, bec- but rather because God just calls us to this. And the fear of our resources and our money, it can, it's very real. And we have to know, like, I'm going to be just as direct and honest about purity as we are generosity. Like, God's word talks more about money than most other things. But the reality is, the Bible shows us is that the root cause of some of our greatest fears and worries, uh, like like money is right there. And so as a response, God calls us to give generously in light of that, to show our trust in the Lord. Like this is God's plan. This is not New City's plan. And if if we don't, if I don't say, if we don't say what what I'm about to say, I really believe we're avoiding one of the biggest idols in our life that God calls us to uh, just smash and destroy. Uh, Like these idols that we we can like, they lead us to fear. Like Gideon, he told Gideon to destroy Baal and Asheroth. We have to put these things to death. And simply put, not tithing and not giving is a direct indicator and a lack of trust that what God has given us isn't enough. Like it just shows fear and worry like all over our hearts. And again, I'm not saying this because we want your money. That's not it at all. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty here at all, but because this is true. And God calls us to give to the local church. Because again, fear in our life, it is incredibly deceitful. And our enemy uses it, to, uses it to lure us away from walking in God's way and according to God's plan. There are so many things we could highlight about the deceiving nature of, of, of fear. But the way in which we combat the deceitfulness of fear and worry is by seeing that number four, God is trustworthy. Throughout this entire story, we see Gideon's fear paired with the Lord's patience and trustworthiness. Over and over again, God says, I'm with you. I'm sending you. I'm going with you. And then God shows up to him as an angel, speaks to him, and meets his request. And every, every time, Gideon's like, are you sure? I don't know about this. Like, maybe I should go bake you a cake. Like, let's just uh, see if you can confirm some things for me. Uh, how about the fleece? Oh, well, that didn't work. Let's try it the other way around. And how, and how did he move forward in battle at the end? He finally trusts the Lord in spite of his fear and doubt. And church, that's courage. New City, over and over again, God showed himself as trustworthy and it led Gideon to be courageous. Again, the trustworthiness of God leads us to be courageous. And everything we saw in that last point on fear, it is restored through trusting the Lord. Our fear keeps us from confessing sin. But God is trustworthy so we can confess. Our fear keeps us from trusting God with our money, but God is trustworthy so we can give generously. 
Our fear keeps us from living on mission, but God is trustworthy so we can courageously move forward on mission with the Lord. And y'all, I want to be really clear on this. Gideon is by no means a model to follow when it comes to trusting the Lord. I mean, over and over again throughout this entire story in chapter six, he showed his fear and doubts. But rather still, he trusted the Lord and he courageously moved forward in the midst of his fear and doubts. He was courageous. And what moved Gideon to be courageous? It was how God revealed himself to Gideon over and over again. So us today, we have to ask, what moves us to greater trust in the Lord based on how he has already revealed himself? And first and foremost, it's the cross and the resurrection. The fact that Jesus came, uh, came, lived, died, and rose again, just as he said he would do, is reason to trust the Lord and to live courageously. Like we don't need another sign to build our trust. The cross and the empty tomb and a resurrected Christ are the only signs we need. The cross and the resurrection are, 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 is enough to move forward in courage to follow the Lord's lead. But yet in God's kindness, he does also give us reasons to trust the Lord. And the more we step out in faith and the more we see the Lord move, whether in ministry or life or with our finances or with confessing sin, the more we see God move, the greater our trust can become. And if we, ever, if we never take steps of faith, if we never take risks for the Lord, we'll struggle to grow in our trust in the Lord. So how do we know God will be faithful in the future? Because he's been faithful in the past. Will our future be the same as the past? No, but God, yes, he will still be faithful, maybe in a totally different way. But again, just think, how has God been faithful to you in the past? Just maybe with your finances or with your relationship or with your fears and worries and just ask, will you trust him for what's next and for what lies ahead? Yes, fear is deceitful, but God, he's not. God is trustworthy. And then finally, our last takeaway from today, number five, courage comes from following a greater love. So how does God make us courageous? Well, as we just said, he calls us to trust him, but also he directs our attention to a far bigger picture. He draws us to a greater love. I mean, just think about it. How does someone uh, overcome, if they're deathly terrified of water, how do they overcome the fear of water? Well, the child that they love dearly, if that child falls into the water, the fearful parent courageously will jump into the water to rescue the child that they love. Their fear uh, of the, 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 the love for the child is greater than their fear of the love. Again, courage comes from following a greater love. And this is where I want you to really stay locked in with me. Because this is, in, this is massively important in how God transforms our lives and makes us courageous. Because what I know to be true is that we can't just try harder to be courageous. It just doesn't work that way. We can say, well, just trust the Lord all day long. But it's hard to just trust the Lord more. Like, it's a little bit more complex than that. And what we see in Judges 6 with Gideon's transformation, going from a scaredy cat to a courageous warrior, the exact same process holds true for us today. And if we look at Gideon's transformation, instilling in him a greater love and trust of the Lord, the first thing that we would notice is that he first encountered the Lord. He was engaging with the angel of the Lord, which many have said was Jesus. 
showing himself as an angel here in the Old Testament. And if you look back at uh, verses 11 through 18 of chapter 6, uh, I mean, it goes back and forth between calling him the angel of the Lord and the Lord. The same, the same thing, same, angel of the Lord and the Lord, which has totally confused Jewish scholars for centuries just trying to figure this out. But what's the answer? This is Jesus. <laughs> the only thing that makes any sense is the pre-incarnate, it's, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus before he walked the earth. And so who did Gideon encounter? He encountered Jesus. It says he encountered the angel of the Lord face to face, and he moved, it moved him to a greater love and awe. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, peace be to you. Do not fear, and you shall not die. He gave him a promise. And what did Gideon do? He built an altar to remember the Lord, to develop a greater love for the Lord. But notice Gideon's transformation. It didn't stop there. But do you, know what, do you know what that encounter with the Lord did for Gideon? It made him courageous. It grew his love and trust for the Lord to do what God told him to do next. And notice, God didn't say, okay, let's go into battle. No, the next thing God told him to do was to destroy idols. Because yes, he did encounter the Lord, but God also knew there were these things in his life that would lure him away and his people away from the Lord in the future. Like that's, what's, that's what idols do. They steal our love of God, to, to God. They're little love thieves. They're like little leeches that just come in and just suck the love of God right out of us. And so what does God tell Gideon? He says, go and destroy these little love thieves. Like go and destroy these idols that distract them from the love of God that pull them away from seeing the greatness of God's love. And church, this is massively important for us. I mean, every day we have things that come to us seeking to distract us from the love of God. And they're essentially saying to us, don't love God. No, love these other things more. Or, or maybe they're even saying things like, yeah, like love God, but love the comfort of money just, just a little bit more. Yes, love God, that's fine. But the validation you're looking for uh, from people, love that more. Yeah, okay, say you love God, but really love the pleasures around you just more. I mean, on and on we could go about this because that's, this is what idols do. They compete for God's love and they dethrone God from the top spot. Like they take God away from being our greatest love. And one of the best ways to find some of the biggest idols in our life is just to follow our fears and worries. Fears, like they're just smoke to the fire. Because what happens is that these idols, they rob our love of God, and the problem comes in here uh, because those idols, they're not always good. They're definitely not sovereign, and they're certainly not trustworthy. This is what the enemy does. He lies to us and tells us these other things are more important, and it just takes our love of God right out of us. And God knew, knew that. And so he told Gideon to go and destroy these little love-stealing idols. He said, go in and destroy them. Get rid of them. Burn them down. You know, this is so important. We could say it this way, because before God called him into battle, out into the world, God wanted to win the battlefield of their hearts. He needed to smash and destroy these idols that were robbing their love and devotion to the Lord. And yes, it's easy for us to say, just destroy the idols in our life. But we need to ask, how? Well, again, notice what Gideon did. He encountered the Lord, 
And God helped him identify the idols in his life. And then what did Gideon do? Well, he went and got 10 men to go with him. He didn't do it alone. No, he had an army of people around him to help him. I mean, Gideon, he had a history of being afraid. And so he got 10 men to go and stand by him. Not one, not two, but 10. And New City, I can't emphasize this enough. It's one thing to identify idols, but it's another thing to get people around us, the entire church, to go to war on an idol. I mean, if you're trying to go to war on something in your life and you don't have about 10 people helping you and standing by you, I'm not really sure we can say we're truly going to war. No, we are on an uphill battle. I mean, yes, we can say God is with us and try to fight it alone, but God's means and method is to put people around us. Y'all, this is what our groups are for. This is what we do. We help each other go to war and to fight and destroy these little love-stealing idols. And why do we do this? Because God wants 100% of our life. He wants all of our love and trust. And then notice in verse 26, what God told Gideon to do. He said, destroy the idols, put them to death. But then he said, put a new altar on top of it. So God essentially told him to get rid of these false idols, but then replace it with a greater love. Replace it with a new altar that is built for the Lord. And what did God do for Gideon and his family? What moved Gideon's dad to see the Lord's power and it turned his dad around, and, it, and then he courageously stepped up for his son, and it, then it also moved them into battle. Like, it's one thing to destroy an idol, but those places they're holding and fielding, they must be filled with a greater love from the Lord. And when Gideon's dad saw the new altar in replace of those idols, it moved him to courageous action. Again, we can't just muster up more courage. No, it must come from the Lord. It must come from Jesus. It comes from seeing the Lord and his beauty and his power and his goodness. And almost every time God stirs us to be courageous, you know where it often starts? It often starts with the courage to confess sin and to fight sin and to live in the light. And the more we live in the light, living towards a greater love of God, the more God propels us to courageously live on mission and take risks for the Lord and to invest deeply in relationships. And so how does God turn a scaredy cat into a valiant warrior? Well, he encounters Jesus. And then God goes to work on his heart, identifying those idols in in those soft spots and then replaces them with a greater love of God. And as this happened, God grows our trust in the Lord to live uh, fearlessly and to live courageously and to build the kingdom of God. And I want to end with this. You know, about five years ago, before we came down here to plant our church, I met with a brother in Christ here in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, We had a meeting. I just wanted to meet with him. And he told me he didn't think what we were trying to do here in Tampa would work. He thought coming here to plant a church, to send missionaries and church planters all over the world, he just did not think it would work. Because people here in the Tampa Bay area, as he said, uh, they're too tied to comfort and security and entertainment and getting people to go from here to the ends of the earth and to labor among the unreached to the hardest reached places. He thought it seemed like too big of a jump. In fact, he just, he said, just getting people to come to church regularly and consistently was a challenge. I politely kept my mouth shut. 
I didn't say a word. I left the meeting. But what I wanted to say to him was you are acting like a faithless fool that is struggling to believe in the transforming power of the gospel. In fact, the people that live here, that come here, maybe searching for comfort and maybe security and possibly entertainment, those are the people that simply just have a misplaced love. And when Jesus comes into a life and gives them a new identity and says, you are a child of God, you are a valiant warrior. When they encounter Jesus, God takes those that are comfortable and he makes them risk takers for the Lord. When a person encounters Jesus in a real way, God takes people and then radically transforms them. God takes scaredy cats like Gideon and makes them courageous. God takes idol worshipers and makes them Jesus worshipers. When the transforming power of Jesus takes root in a person's life, the result is a radical, risk-taking Christ follower that is willing to sell everything to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And how does this happen? Because God gives us a promise, promise like just like we see with Gideon like we see in the Great Commission, that God is with us and that God will always be with us. Listen, I don't, I don't know where God has you today. I don't know what fears you're facing. I don't know what God want, how God wants to use you, but I know this. He wants to go to work on our hearts. And I also know there are people around us and there are people all over the world he wants to reach with the gospel and he wants to use you and me to do it. And today he looks at you not as you see yourself, He doesn't look at you as the world may describe you. Uh, No, he says, if you are in Christ, he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He says, you're courageous, brave. You're a courageous, brave man and woman of might. And why is that? Not because of you, but because Jesus is inside of you. Because the God of the universe is with you and dwelling inside of you and is working along with you. And the Lord looks at those who are hidden in Christ and he says, fear not for I am with you. Church, we can walk courageously today because the God of the universe is with us and inside of us. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. God, you take all of our fears, and we could just set them at the foot of the cross because at the cross we see a greater love. We see the love of God that says, I came to rescue you. God, if there's anyone here today under the sound of my voice that has not given their life to Jesus, God, I pray that they would courageously just hand over their life, seeing the the great love that he gave to them at the cross. And he wants to, that they would see that God, the God of the universe wants to call them his children and say, you're mine. Would you walk with me? Would you be with me? God, we ask for your help. We ask for your uh, transforming power just to take root in the, life of, uh, in the lives of those in this room and possibly just listening. God, we, we love you and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.